Welcome to the Pause to Remember podcast. My name is Amy Pelkey. I'm a practicing CRNA yoga teacher and mother to one son here on earth and one daughter who was stillborn. If you are a healthcare provider who has experienced pregnancy or infant loss, this podcast is for you. My goal is to offer resources, conversations, and mindfulness-based grief tools to help providers like you build the courage to acknowledge and process your emotions, the strength to carry your grief, and resilience so you can preserve your career, relationships, and overall well-being while honoring the memory of your baby. I want to assure you that you are not alone in your grief. I am thankful that you are here today. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. Today's guest is Sarah Ash. She is the Bereavement Services Coordinator at the Center for Grieving Children in Portland, Maine. Sarah earned her master's degree in expressive therapies and counseling from Lesley University with an emphasis in art therapy. She has used art modalities in her private practice, offering support to children, teens, and adults during bereavement and other life transitions. She's also worked as a clinician with adolescents in a group home setting. Currently, her role at the center involves working closely with families, volunteers, and the community in areas of grief and loss, program development, outreach, and training. In Sarah's free time, she enjoys bicycling, kayaking, snowshoeing, reading, and above all else, the company of family and friends. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah. It's neat how people are able to connect others. So I had talked to my dad about how some providers had shared with me some struggles that they were having with their children experienced grief after loss. And that was an area I wanted to learn more about. And he had a friend, Deb Dunlap, that connected the two of us. So I just want to start by expressing my appreciation to both my father and Deb for connecting us today. And I'm so glad they did. As I said to you, when we first talked, I am Always so happy to be able to support anyone wherever they are in their grief process. And this is a topic that I don't think gets enough attention. So I'm really appreciative of this opportunity. Thank you. We had initially talked just about how unique every loss is. And for people who are pregnant and get difficult diagnosis and find out that their baby that they're carrying has a life-limiting diagnosis and either they have to terminate the pregnancy or they don't anticipate that they will be able to carry to term or maybe that the baby will um, pass shortly after birth. If they have other living children at home, do you have any recommendations about how to start a difficult conversation like that with the children at home? That's a great question to start. It's a starting point question. (laughs) So um, I think, first of all, this is, it seems to me, a situation where it's the opportunity for the mom who's carrying the child to actually sit with it herself a little bit first. I think that that would be my first um, piece of advice. I think that what we bring to our children emotionally is what they carried. And if we are still in the throes of having just heard the news ourselves, 
that it can be, and we're overwhelmed, that's going to feel overwhelming to the child too. You know, kids' antenna are just going all the time to pick up cues from their environment and to learn on how to behave, to get along in the world. And when they witness a parent having a very difficult time, it's hard for them to feel anything but anxious themselves. You know, how am I supposed to respond to this? What am I supposed to do? So the idea of first sitting with our own feelings is what I would say. Um, and giving yourself time to do some grief work yourself. Um really think hard about what it is that you want out of the next few weeks or a few days or months. Um, think about yourself. Think about the outcome you would like for your living children. Um, but don't dismiss your own feelings for the sake of the child. They're equally important. Um, if you are not modeling how to take care of yourself and how to have healthy feelings, your child's not going to learn that. So it, you're being a model in a time when it's really difficult. I would say from there, when you talk to your child, it's okay to have feelings. Um, that's the important thing. I would say it's not okay probably to in totally go off the rails emotionally, which might be a difficult thing to do. So you might want to have someone there with you who can support you and talk when you can't and to indicate to your child um, your mom, or for you to be able to say, I'm crying because I'm sad, but I will be okay, even if you don't feel that way. You know, for, to let kids know that you are going to be okay, that this is normal when you feel sad to have these feelings and to cry, and that it's okay to cry. It's okay to cry and to show how much you care. To say to your child that the tears are just an indication of how sad I am, and it's okay to be sad. I think then it's a matter of understanding your own child and where they are developmentally um, in choosing language. Most areas around the country now do have child grief centers. And if you specifically want help with language, you, you can call. But I would say you know your child's ability to understand and to, to use your vocabulary accordingly. I think that I would steer away from euphemisms in talking to your child, that they are so confusing, especially to smaller children, to say that someone's lost and then you're not going out to look for that person scares can scare a child into thinking, aren't you going to look for me if I get lost? Or if they went to sleep and they're not going to wake up. That can be scary. Is that going to happen to you? Is it going to happen to the child? They begin to wonder if this is normal for when someone goes to sleep, um, passing, or, or they're gone. Even when you go and dad's gone to work, or mom's gone to work, or grandma's gone to work, they come home again. So the idea of using the words die and death is really important, even though it may be uncomfortable. Kids are not afraid of that word. Um, they're more curious than anything else. So be prepared for questions. That idea of using the word death and die and being able to explain in accessible vocabulary for their age if they've never encountered death before. You can talk about how something in their body isn't working anymore and it can't be fixed. 
so they can't breathe anymore, they can't talk anymore, they can't see anymore. Um, even though their body is still there, all these things inside their body aren't working anymore. And so it's not like they're alive, they're, they've died. They learn the words just like they learn any other word, you know, shoe. You know how they learn what the word shoe is. Let's go get your shoes on. And as you're reaching to put the shoes on, go get your shoes. Let's tie your shoes. When we use those words over and over, kids learn them. And they may have questions, so just be prepared for that. It's another reason to take care of yourself before you talk to your child so that you're prepared to answer questions they might have. It's a broad topic for kids, but sometimes they don't ask questions. And it's okay to let them know if they don't, um, that they can come back and ask you later to lay that groundwork that you're always open to talking about this. It's really important to not make this a taboo subject so that kids know that it's nothing that they have to worry about particularly. You are there to take care of them, that this isn't something that happens to everybody all the time. This is unusual. So that's the goal, is to, to normalize it, even though it's a terrible situation, to let them know that it's okay to talk about and that feelings are all right. It sounds like the process of bringing comfort to discomfort. Yeah, and have a have a lap accessible. I would also say, don't do this at bedtime. You know, that's just <laughs> not a subject you want your kids going to bed thinking about right before they go to sleep. That makes sense. And maybe have a, a box of tissues handy in case you need to share them. Yep. And maybe a toy that they like, a cuddly toy, a stuffed animal or a blanket. So if you are in the hospital and whether you have an anticipated loss or an unanticipated loss, for example, a stillbirth, and you know it's always encouraged that the parents have time to bond with the child and take photos and you know, read them a book, bathe them, what have you that feels comfortable to them. Do you have any recommendations for including the children in that time at the hospital before you say goodbye to your baby and go home? Yeah, I think that that, that there's not a hard and fast rule. I encourage families to have their child be a part of the process but also a child's capacity to take in like a long time, depending on where they are developmentally, to stay with a child for hours on end might be more disruptive. And that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be there at all. Maybe somebody um, brings them in just briefly. I wouldn't bring them in without explaining to them first what's going on so that they have some kind of understanding about that. And even when you've explained to the young children what's going on at home, that knowledge might not transfer to the hospital. Little tiny kids, I'd say four and under, maybe even to five, might not grasp that what you're saying in one situation actually applies to another situation. So hearing the story, they might still come into the hospital and you might have to tell them all over again what's happened, but at least you've prepared them. And remember when we talked at home, this is what I was talking about. And when you, you might even ask kids from four to six to eight about whether they want to be a part of this, you know, your child and what they can handle is the hospital environment someplace that they've already had experience of, and they either feel comfortable or afraid in to take that into consideration. I would say if they don't go into the hospital, how else can they become a part of this process? Just because they don't come in doesn't mean that they are not a part of the process. 
you know, they can draw something for them. Um, they can send them a little present, something else that they could do for them if it's a situation where it might be inappropriate for them to be there. But again, I would encourage them and for you to have another family member or close friend who can take the child out of the room when they've had enough. You know, just a practical thing like that can make the situation safer, feel better for everyone. And, you know, again, to developmentally know where your kids are in terms of asking questions, being prepared to answer questions. There's a lovely book that I like for kids that I would say about four and over called Life is Like the Wind, which is about what happens when people die. And each spread, it's a beautifully sweet Sweetly illustrated book. Each spread is about a different belief about what happens to the body, and included in that is heaven, reincarnation, um, being buried, you know, all, everything that you can possibly imagine, carrying memories with you. Each one, each spread kind of talks about that in childlike terms. So if there are questions, you know, child, and you don't feel like you have the vocabulary to answer those questions, you could yourself be reading that book to a child or have somebody else read it. I know for some families, for kids that are, that are curious about death, it's become a favorite that they like to have read to them over and over again. That's a great suggestion. And I'll pop a link to that book in the show notes for anybody who's listening and would like to take a look at it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. When you come home from the hospital, I'm assuming a lot of the things that you had talked about in terms of sitting with your feelings when you come home and you're not bringing your baby home and how you're going to model your grief for your children are applicable just as much as, you know, in the early stages. Are there any tips you have at home in terms of sitting down and coloring with your child and then bringing up, hey, do you have any questions? Or you may have seen mommy crying and mommy sad or any suggestions for young kids if they see you crying or, you know, you having a difficult day. Do you have any suggestions in that situation? You already almost answered your own question. <laughs> You're being willing to talk about it. If you are having a hard time, not being afraid to lean into that with your child and just say, I'm sorry. You know, apologies are really important too for children. You know, I, I'm, you know, I'm sorry if I haven't been able to do everything that you've wanted to do lately. I've been feeling really sad. You know, I'll be better tomorrow or I'll be better. We'll have more time later to do this. But then if you say that you're going to do something later to make a note to yourself, because you might forget it, you've got a lot on your mind. And kids need to know that they can trust you to follow through, that even though their world has been shaken and your world has been shaken, that they can still count on you. So that is a huge point, um, that they can count on you. That's one of the reasons I say if you're really being overwhelmed by your feelings, to have another family come and take care of the child for a while um, until you feel ready, even if it's a couple of days. If you need a break, it's better for you to take care of yourself and do that at home. To bring it up occasionally, depending on the age of the child, you might ask what they want to do. If, if they want to have something around the house to remind them or in their bedroom, do they want something? I've had a teen participate in the center in the past who had the experience when he was very young of losing a sibling that he kept a picture from the day the baby was born and died with him in his room. And the family had it displayed in the house also. 
And it was what they wanted to do. That's not right for everybody, but there's nothing wrong with it either if that's what you all need. How do you want to incorporate the baby into holiday celebrations? Do you want to remember birthdays? You know, those are conversations that you can have. They don't have to be skirted. And again, a young child, a very young child, under four or three, when you come to those days, might not even be carrying the grief anymore. I will say kids that are living in an environment where there is more sadness around the loss will probably have more sadness around the loss. And that doesn't mean you should hide it. It just means how are you going to handle that and make sure that you balance that in the long run so that your child also has those opportunities to be joyful and be happy. But um, that idea of talking about special days and how do we want to incorporate the baby into those are perfectly open-ended questions that the family can have together. Do you have a few suggestions that you have seen other families do to honor a child or a baby's memory that you find have been unique or seem to have been very healing for them? Oh, I think that the one that I told you about that was surprising to me was that 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 photo was kept from the day of the baby's birth and death was kept, you know, displayed in the house, you know, right up until I think the current present, they're very, that baby is very much a part of their lives and the conversation, the identity of the family. So that's something that they chose to do. Um, I also think, you know, for me, the idea of with small children of balloons, getting environmentally friendly balloons and filling them with helium and tying on wishes and hopes for them, that can be uh, really wonderful. We have a family at the center too. It wasn't for a baby that died, but a, a family member who died. They would go to the cemetery and have picnics at the cemetery on special days. And they would also, well, probably I shouldn't say that, but they would creep into the cemetery on the 4th of July and let off firecrackers. <laughs> so, you know, how can you celebrate this person and keep them a part of your life? Anything that seems but for someone that you would do in life, it's okay to do also in death. What do you wish that they you had been able to do having those conversations about it? And then maybe doing it in honor of the baby, things like that for the child. Yeah, neat. As time goes on, sometimes grief displays itself at different points because it's a very unique journey. And if you have a child that, you know, maybe two, three, four months down the road starts having some behavior issues or some struggles at school or more emotional outbursts, are there any things for parents to kind of keep an eye out for that may show that they're having some issues with their grieving journey and they just display it in a different way than yeah. maybe adults would? Children don't have the vocabulary to express frequently what's going on with them, which is why it's so important for us to model for them. I am feeling sad, having them learn, I'm feeling frustrated, I'm feeling angry. I, I, I'm wishing that, you know, I'm angry that, you know, to be able to say those words and then display for the child how you express that in a healthy way is part of what goes on. I'd also say if you see, you know, children can be really inconvenient. <laughs> You know, I hate to say that, but it's true. If you're in the grocery store and your child is falling apart because they can't have something they want, it's inconvenient. Especially it's inconvenient if we understand that 
this is probably entirely about something other than they're not getting what they want in the grocery store. It's probably about they're not getting a lot of things that they, they need right now. And this is the last straw. So how do you, in that situation, even in the grocery store, we're all so busy. I remember just thinking when my kids were little, what am I going to do? I can't come back and do this later. I need to do this now. But if there's any way to say to your, your child, you are having some really big feelings right now. I think maybe we need to go somewhere else while you have those feelings and then we can come back and do this later and then just stick to it and be kind and remember to do that later. Um, even though it looks like they're being punished or I saw one poor mom recently just taking a flailing child, you know, who's holding on to the basket, you know, didn't want to get out of the cart to leave the grocery store, but it was just a spiral downwards to, to try to deal with it in the moment. Children, when they are so amped up, is not the time to try to rationalize with them, you know, and try to understand their feelings. They don't understand their feelings. They're not going to be able to tell you what's going on. So that idea of saying, okay, you're having big feelings. It's okay to have big feelings. Let's find a way to do this appropriately. You're not going to use that language, but you get the gist of it. And maybe go outside and really let's like stamp our feet right now and scream right here outside and do it with them. It's going to look awfully silly. But what that helps the child do is get to the point where that energy is actually transferred into something else, that they get silly and they start laughing. Try to find ways that they can just run and run and run and run maybe in a park until that energy is gone or lie down on the ground and kick their feet and pound their fists. You know, something that's safe, that's going to expend that energy and that maybe that you can join them doing. And it's not to make fun of them. It's to let them know that this is okay. This is a good way to do this. And I'm right here with you while you're doing it. And when you're done, I'm still going to be here. So those kinds of things for really small kids. for for older kids, it's the same thing, though. They don't always really understand what's going on. Some kids will look like they are all of a sudden angels who maybe have been behaviorally challenging previously. And that's, they're worried that something might happen to somebody else if they don't start being better, uh, better children, better students, better athletes. They might start trying to help around the house more, do their chores better. And that, to me, indicates frequently a little anxiety. And we don't often recognize that because we're thinking that these kids are trying to be helpful. And it can be that they are worried. And so we need to pay attention to that too. You know, what's if you see a behavioral change in your child, Assume that there's something going on, that this isn't just them being a bad child or all of a sudden being an outstanding student or athlete or child at home, that a behavioral change usually indicates that there's something else going on. And if they're old enough, say, hey, I'm noticing, I'm noticing that you seem to be um, taking out the trash all the time and making your bed and I really appreciate it, but I'm wondering what's going on that you feel like you need to do that all of a sudden. You're saying, I see you, I see you, and I appreciate you, and I want to check in with you and make sure you're okay. And again, they might not have those questions, the, the, the vocabulary to answer those questions at the time, but if you keep engaging in those conversations and you keep modeling the language, that all of a sudden they develop that capacity, and they always know that you're caring. 
you know, if you're right there with them, if you see them, if you don't give up on them, if you don't get angry or frustrated, which the best of us do, um, you know, and if you do, go back and say, hey, I'm sorry, I was frustrated with you back then. You get frustrated with me sometimes, that's okay. You know, life can be hard sometimes. So let's take it from here and go forward. I'm sorry. That makes a lot of sense. If you are looking for a center for grieving children or some mental health services, do you have some recommendations on how to maximize those services or navigate those services? Navigating these days is really hard. It's really difficult to find services. Be prepared to keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. There is an organization, a national organization called the National Alliance for Children's Grief, NACG, which you can find links for. That's a great resource for finding resources for children specifically, but many of them are family models as ours is, so that you can find services for your whole family. Some of them have therapy. Ours is a non-clinical environment. We don't have do therapy or counseling. We have peer support groups run by volunteers. There's many different models. Um, so what is it that you're looking for? But most grief centers can also help you find other resources. And I think that that's important to know that if you call someone and you they don't give you the answer that you're looking for, be sure to say, so is there any suggestion that you have? <laughs> and then they can um, help you find other resources. Hospice organizations actually provide a lot of bereavement services, not always for children, but again, they can refer frequently to other uh, resources. Most hospice organizations to be belong to the National Merging Umbrella Organization for Hospice Organizations requires that hospice places offer bereavement for up to 13 months after a death, whether or not someone has used the hospice services, so that you do not have to have access to um, their services prior to a death in order to use the bereavement services. That's interesting. I didn't know that. And I didn't realize that the length of time that you could access those services was that long. That's really interesting and good to know. Yeah. So those are two that I would suggest. I know that in Maine, our state has a website that has grief or, um, grief groups listed by county at maine.gov. And I imagine that, that we're not the only state that does that. There, um, So you can just go on to your state resources and they might have something like that as well. Interesting. Do you find that some of the services in the schools are helpful or are they pretty overwhelmed right now with everything that's going on post-COVID or the peak of COVID, shall we say? Or do you find that some of the services in the schools are helpful to grieving children? I don't think it's either or right now. I think it's both. I think that they are helpful and they are overwhelmed. We're getting more calls than ever from schools about how to support students. I had a conversation with somebody yesterday who did say that their child was receiving services at school every other week, but it just wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. So there is that. But that is also another place where you can sometimes talk to the school social worker to look for other resources that they sometimes might be able to direct you to other resources, even if your child isn't receiving services. 
through the school. I think that one of the things that several schools have asked about is starting up peer support groups in the school. Peer support groups are so helpful, even for small children. You know, it's interesting to me. We start um, serving kids when they're three years old. And a lot of people think, oh, they're not grieving because they don't. What are they doing in there? They just sound like they're having fun. And they are. They're having a blast. Kids don't grieve like adults grieve. They grieve. The really young ones just grieve in the moment. And then they move on and want to go outside and play or have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich after they just cried for five minutes. You know, that idea of being with a peer for kids, also they walk into a room and what they all understand is that they're there for the same reason, that somebody important to them has died. That might be enough for a child that they're brought out of isolation. In other places, they may not know anyone else that that's the case. And it's okay in this room. It makes it look normal. It doesn't make it look like um, it happens to everyone, but it happens to other people too. That there's a special place for this because it is unusual, but you're not alone. These groups, if you have uh, a good group leader, are teaching them again that vocabulary and appropriate ways of remembering. Yet for us, we always have a closing ritual where the kids remember why they're there. So if it hasn't come up in group overtly, the whole hour that they've been there right at the end, there's a reminder. But frequently their play also mirrors what's going on in their life. So that idea that play is kids' work, you know, toys are their tools. Um, Be able to really be observing what's going on with kids in a group um, is a great thing for them. And then to mirror that back to them and to say what you see. Oh, you're playing with that fire truck. Oh, you're playing with that ambulance. Oh, you're playing doctor with that baby. What's going on with that baby? How are you feeling about that? You know, and does that make you sad? Does it make you happy to give them the words? You might have to spoon feed kids, but don't assume either that you know what's going on. Could be that they're just playing. (laughs) Yeah, their ability to be in the moment, I think, is a nice reminder for us as adults that mindfulness or this, you know, being in the moment is a really powerful tool for navigating grief because it allows you to let some of the past just drift away and allows you to not be so wrapped up on what's to come and just simply be here right now. It's a safe place. Mm. I think as much as we model for kids, you know, how to have their feelings, kids model for us, Mm -hmm. you know, how to be in the moment, how to sob and let go and be sad and their whole bodies get racked with their grief. Mm -hmm. And then they kind of had that big deep breath at the end of that and they're ready to go on. That's then. And now I want SpongeBob. So (laughs) it's miraculous. And it's something that we as adults strive to be. And wouldn't it be great if we gave our permission once a day to just sob, sob, sob like that? And have that moment of three deep breaths, those cleansing breaths, and then we're able to go on. Beautiful. Is there anything else that you think is important to share or cover in this conversation that we haven't touched upon? Boy, we've got, covered a lot already. Um, I feel like we have covered a lot of ground here. <laughs> I think, you know, just to reiterate that children are taking their cues from you. And I know when we are grieving that it's hard to be present to the needs of our kids as well. So don't beat yourself up for that. 
but make sure that we are acknowledging what's going on and tending to that, whether it's having someone else meet their needs in the moment or letting them know that you're going to be okay and then coming back to them when you are okay. Letting kids know what's going on so that they're not left guessing. Kids have this ability to imagine the worst case scenario. If we don't tell them the truth, they're going to make up something way worse. So to keep that in mind, if we are leaving them out of conversations, whispering, doing things behind closed doors, kids are imagining the worst. So um, to always be willing to have those really difficult conversations, to find someone who can help you navigate them if you need to, call a local grief center, but that it's really important to have those conversations, even if they're uncomfortable. And that doesn't mean on the other hand, dragging your kids every inch along with you with your feelings, because those are yours. They're not your child's. There's a point where we can put too many of our feelings and make them too responsible for their for our feelings. Uh, we need to be mindful of that too. Wonderful advice and insight that you've shared. And I just want to say thank you for just all the expertise and experience that you've had over the years providing support for people who are grieving and children who are grieving. I really just want to say thank you. Thank you. It has really been an honor for me all these years to be doing this. So thank you for having me. My pleasure. For those of you who are parents trying to navigate loss with other living children, I hope Sarah's information is helpful to you. After we finished recording this podcast, she and I were chatting a little bit longer, and she came up with a few other books that would be helpful to you as a parent, and I will include all of those in the show notes. Thank you so much for spending time with Sarah and me today, and I look forward to sharing more with you on the Pause to Remember podcast next time. Take care. Are you a healthcare provider grieving after pregnancy or infant loss? Is your grief threatening your career, impacting your relationships, or hurting your well being? What if you could stop feeling lost, overwhelmed, or lonely? What if you could start finding comfort with discomfort and gently honor your feelings while grieving your loss? A Mindful Prescription is a four-week course introducing you to meditation, yoga, and other informal mindfulness practices to help you build courage to acknowledge and process your feelings, strength to carry the weight of your grief, and resilience so you can create a new norm after loss. So instead of pasting a smile on your face, muscling your way through the day, or numbing yourself with junk food, alcohol, social media, or super busy calendar, consider practicing some mindfulness, apply what you learn to your grief, and move through your grief while preserving your career, relationships, and well-being while also honoring the memory of your baby. The four-week course can be completed in a group format or one-on-one with me, Amy Pelkey, beginning in March. I am a CRNA, a loss mom, and a registered yoga teacher. I look forward to supporting you during this difficult time. For more information, click the link below for a mindful prescription. Please help healthcare providers 
find the Pause to Remember community by going to Apple Podcasts to rate and review the Pause to Remember podcast. Sharing these episodes directly with a grieving healthcare provider or posting to your social media will also help spread the word about the resources and offerings being shared within the community. Thank you for your support of the work being done here.